It's great to be here with you this afternoon. Um, John asked me to, uh, to teach on a part from uh, the book of Acts, where we left off last time. It's from uh, chapter 20. And first I would like to read with you from verse 13 through 17. At first look, it might not seem that much of an interesting part, but you may be surprised about this. It's about the itinerary of Paul on his mission trip. And it starts in verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him on bo- aboard and went down to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. First we read until here, later on we will read the rest also. But as I said, it seems like some uh, dry piece of itinerary. We went from this place to another, and that's just it. Now, in order to make it a little more interesting, I brought something. It's not a trumpet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a map. And actually, I would like to ask two guys to hold it up, not just for one minute, but perhaps five minutes even. Who would be willing to do that? Oh, we have two strong guys here. Thank you so much. Salt and Scots. Here we go. Well, um, it's mostly in Hungarian, but I think the picture will do the talking. So this is a map of the mission trips that Paul had. Now, forget about mission trip one, which is in red. Forget also about mission trip two, which is in green. Just focus on mission trip three, which is in blue. Okay? So this is where he set off, went to here, then there, and then there. And then you see here these arrows pointing in two directions, which means... He went from here back again. And this is, this is what we pick up. So in the previous part of chapter 20, we could read that from all these churches that they passed by, one person came along with Paul and accompanied him on his way back to Jerusalem, where he finally wanted to go. This, that's what we just read. By Pentecost, he wanted to be in Jerusalem. So that was that was the final purpose of his, of his trip, the end of his third mission trip, okay? So we are about in this area, and from almost every church, a person is joining the company, we could read in the previous part, and then they come to Troas, where at the second, beginning of the second mission trip, Paul had this vision of this guy from Macedonia calling him to come over. Now they went back there, and last week, Pastor John preached about this Poor guy that had been working all day, sat in the window, fell asleep, and fell off to the street. That was in Troas, okay? This place here, this is nowadays Turkey. At that time, it was called Asia. So when Eutychus is being revived again, the company moves on to Assos. That's what we see here. They went by ship around But Paul went by foot, as we just read. I can imagine that Paul wanted to see how Eutychus was doing after he had been revived again. So he wanted to stay there as long as possible. And the others 
went ahead already. So they went there from Tetroas to Assos to Mytilene, Chios, Samos, and here we have Milete, where Paul sent message to the elders of Ephesus to come over to him because he didn't want to go to Ephesus. If we would go there, he would know this would not just be a two or three day visit. That would at least take two weeks, a whole month perhaps, and he didn't have that time because he wanted to go to Jerusalem. He was in a hurry because it said in previous part when they were in Philippi, they were there at uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is the, the Pesach. Now from Pesach to Pentecost is 50 days. So he had 50 days to get from here to there, mostly by foot, partly by ship, but it's limited time. So he didn't have time to go to Ephesus. So these people from the city came to him. Now you think that's an easy thing to do. It's about 63 miles, which is in kilometers, 90 kilometers. Let's say a two day trip at least. So first a courier had to go to Ephesus, then they all had to come back to Paul again. Lots of time was spent on that to get these people there. But this is where they meet and where Paul greets the elders of the church of Ephesus, the part that we will read later on. Now, why I wanted to show you this map was to give you an idea of what this trip was about. Paul had been preaching the gospel all around in Turkey, in Greece. It's called Achaia and Macedonia at those days. Interesting, by the way. In the book of Romans, Paul says that even in that time, he even preached the gospel in the parts of Illyricum, which is about here, which is nowadays Albania. He even went there. A lot of things that Paul had been doing during his mission trips has not been recorded in the book of Acts, but many things are. But God's gospel spread out through all these countries, and many people came to faith. Are you still with me, guys? Okay. <laughs> So, what I wanted to show you, Zolt, are you okay? Uh, okay, okay. I want to make sure everybody sees that. All right. What I wanted to show you with this is that um, Paul had been working hard to spread the gospel, but now he was going back to Jerusalem. And in the part that we will read later on, he knows that Jerusalem will be a uh, final stage. From city to city, he says, the Holy Spirit has been telling me that what awaits me in Jerusalem is trial, persecution, and prison. So all these churches, all these Christians, all these believers that had come to faith through the ministry of Paul, he knows when he's going past these churches, he's never going to see them again. This is the final time. So perhaps now you can imagine why, why he was preaching whole night over there in Troas, but the time when this guy Eutychus fell asleep. Not just from 6 to 12, but even till the next morning. Because Paul knew, I will never see those people again. And I need to, to give them as much as I can at this, at this very last occasion. Same thing here when he meets the, the elders in Milete, the, the Ephesian elders. He's never going to see these people again. So what he's telling them here, what we are going to read right now, is like his, his farewell speech, his legacy. This is what he wants to leave behind when he knows he will never have a chance again to, to speak to those people. Now, that's what we're going to read. Thank you very much, guys, for your effort. 
You've been doing great. So if you have your Bible with you or your cell phone or from the screen, let's uh, read on then from verse 18. When those elders from Ephesus arrived, <clears throat> Paul said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch of yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come, will come in among you, and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. And Paul moved on on his trip to Jerusalem, and in the coming weeks we will probably hear more about it, what exciting events awaited him there further. Now, as I said, Paul is in a hurry to get to Jerusalem as soon as he can. Um, the reason to get to Jerusalem was um, for m several reasons. First of all, he wanted to be there at Pentecost. But secondly, as I said, he had a company of people with him, around nine people they were in total, people from all the churches that he had been serving him, um, that he had been serving in, because Paul had been making a collection for the church in Jerusalem, 
for the Jewish believers there. It was important for Paul to keep this connection between the mother church in Jerusalem and those daughter churches among the pagans, so to say, the, the, the believers from, uh, from the, the non-Jews. Paul wanted to keep those two together. And that's why he, he, um, he taught those churches in Asia and Greece that they had a responsibility towards this church in Jerusalem. Throughout the book of Acts, you see this um, split going wider and wider between, on one side, the believers from the Jews, and on the other side, the believers from the non-Jews. Unfortunately, we see the result of that up till the day of today, where, um, where even things like the Holocaust are, are an eventual re result from, that the, the split has gone wider and wider between Christian Jews and Jews from the heathen. So very important to see that Paul wanted to keep, to keep those two together. Now, here these elders from Ephesus, they come to, um, to Paul to visit him for the last time. And as he said, Paul had been working among them for, for a period of three years. Now, if you know a little about the book of Acts, which you guys have been studying for the last couple of months, you know that this was a very exceptional thing for Paul to stay in one place for such a long time. He didn't usually do that. So he had a very special relationship with these people in Ephesus, that he was willing to spend so much time there. And as we see in what he says to those people, by the way, isn't it interesting that we have a, a literal report of all the words that Paul spoke here? You know how that can be? Um, anyone remembers who wrote this book of Acts? Luke! Exactly! And when you look back in chapter 16, you can see that uh, when uh, Paul and Silas left Philippi, they left Luke over there. Because the, the, uh, the pronouns changed from they, from we to they. Now here in chapter 20, Again, when Paul meets, comes into Philippi and meets with Luke, the, the, the pronoun changes again from they to we. So from Philippi on, Paul joins the company again. And here in Milete, where, when Paul meets those elders from Ephesus, Luke is there. He's an eyewitness. And he noted down what, what Paul said, and that's how we got it in the book of Acts. That's how we got this uh, mostly literal report of this speech of Paul. But it's... It's a farewell speech. It's, it's a legacy. And the legacy that Paul leaves behind is a life of serving the kingdom of God, serving the gospel of Jesus. That's very important to see. That, that's the legacy that he leaves behind, a ministry of serving. And Paul points out in the first place how he served in this ministry with what what kind of attitude and now he he wants to pass on the baton to others you know when when people are running an estafette you have this this stick you call it a baton right baton you call it a baton so one runner runs along passes it on and he can take rest while the other running is moving forward with the baton that's that's what Paul doing Paul is doing here he leaves his legacy passes on the baton to those elders of Ephesus so they can continue the race. A very uh, crucial element of Paul's way of doing ministry comes forward here, which you also can read in, uh, 
2 Timothy 2, verse 2. It's a verse that you can very easily remember. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, what you have heard from me, you must pass it on to other people who are trustworthy and who are able to teach others. Okay? So what Timothy has heard from Paul, oh, here we have it quickly. This is amazing, this technique of today. What you have heard from me, Paul, Paul has been teaching Timothy. Timothy, now it's your turn. You find people that are trustworthy and who have the capacity to be teachers themselves so that they also can pass it on to others. Paul, Timothy, trustworthy people, others. That's how we pass on the baton. This is how Paul did his ministry, and this is what we see happening here in this chapter also. He's passing it on. Now, what kind of characteristics does Paul point out for serving in this ministry? When we just look at those verses, I pointed them out in, uh, in a small presentation. First of all, Paul speaks about humility. When you uh, have your Bible with you, you can see that in, in verse uh, 19. I served the Lord with great humility. Maybe it may seem a little weird for us to speak about yourself as being humble. I served with humility. Like, I am so humble. You can hardly believe how big my humbleness is. I'm the most humble of all the people. That's not how Paul speaks about it. Humbleness is an attitude in which you don't put yourself in the foreground. It's, it's not something like um, insecurity or something. I mean, when you look at the ministry of Paul, he was definitely not insecure about what he had to do, where he had to go. Or when he was preaching the gospel, he wasn't, wasn't shy or something. That's not the, the humbleness that he's speaking about. Humbleness means that I come with a purpose, but I come in the name of someone who sent me. And he needs to be in the focus. He needs to be in the center. That's the kind of humbleness that Paul speaks about. And with that, he can plainly say, I have served you in, with, with great, in, in great humility. It's not to boast about his humili humility. It's in order to put him in the center who sent him, Jesus. That's the first thing, humility. Secondly, what we see, um, also in verse 19 and later on in verse 36, we see it again. Paul was emotionally involved in the way he did his ministry. He says, I have served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing. Tears on one hand because of the difficulty he was facing, but tears also because of the people he got connected to. See, see the, the way how they said good, goodbye at the end? Many tears, hugs, kisses. Well, you don't do that with people whom you just consider as uh, partners in a, in a job or something. You only do that with people that, that you are connected to. So, first we see humility. Secondly, we see emotionally involvement in his ministry. It was a, it was a ministry that, that took his heart completely. Thirdly, a willingness to endure suffering. He says in verse um, 19 and 20, I serve the Lord in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. 
uh, when you read throughout the book of Acts, you know that Paul had been in danger of his life many times. Even in Philippi, he had been beaten, he got into prison. When he was on his way from Greece to get back to Jerusalem, he could not go by ship because he heard there was a plot against him that the Jews wanted to, to kill him. So that's why he took the other route over land. Paul was in constant danger because of people who wanted to, to kill him, simply because of the fact that he was ministering to the gospel of Jesus. Fourthly, what he says about his attitude in his ministry, he has been teaching the whole gospel. He didn't keep anything behind. He said, I, I taught to you the, the whole gospel. Um, nowadays, people sometimes have a tendency to, um, to take out a part from the gospel. Like, for example, um, it, it's a very nice phrase, health and wealth gospel. People take out a, a certain part from the gospel that God wants to bless you, God wants to give you good life, and God wants to do miracles in your life. These things are all true, but it's just a part. Because many times those people forget to speak about the part that we follow a crucified Lord. We follow a Lord who was rejected by his people, who was not popular at his time. There are several sides to the gospel. And Paul says here, I have been teaching to you the whole gospel. Verse 27, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Well, the will of God, gospel literally means good news. God wants good things for us, but it does require from us that we accept these good things. The fifth thing that he mentions as a characteristic of his ministry is led by the Spirit. Here in verse 22, he says, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Um, but he did know that from city to city, the Holy Spirit made clear to him that suffering and prison awaits him. Now, let, let's, let's be honest for a moment. If you got this message from the Holy Spirit several times, that when you go to that place, you will face suffering, you will be put into prison, and it's going to be extremely difficult. You know what I would do? I would rather avoid to go to that place. But yet... Paul says, compelled by the Holy Spirit. He knows that he's not just doing a fun trip. He's not, not just doing a, a fun mission. He is, he's pursuing a goal. He wants to follow the direction of God. And he wants to go where God leads him, no matter what the costs are. Led by the Holy Spirit. And that actually also brings to the, to the next characteristics which is total surrender. We can read about that in, uh, in verse 24. And, well, perhaps this might be the most crucial one, and I think also uh, the most difficult one for us nowadays. When Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. This is total surrender. My life no longer belongs to myself. My goal is no longer to realize my own dreams, to, 
to fulfill my own self. No, I've surrendered my life to the one who has sacrificed himself for me. And my life belongs to him. He leads. And where he tells me to go, I will go. My life has no value to me anymore. It doesn't mean that he's worthless. No, his, his life has worth in Jesus. But no worth for himself anymore. This, this is surrender. And thank God that the Holy Spirit worked in a way like this through Paul. Because it was through his efforts, of course, thanks to the Holy Spirit, but through his efforts that the gospel eventually came here to Europe and also found its way to us here in Hungary, in Debrecen. Through this total surrender, not, not, not just Paul, ma many others who followed after him, who surrendered their life to Jesus, surrendered their life to, to the ministry of serving like Paul did. My life has no worth, is nothing of worth to, my, to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Lord Jesus has given me. Last one I want to mention is um, diligence and generosity. In the end, Paul, Paul says that he has never, ever asked any gold or silver or clothes from anyone. He has always been working hard with his very own hands to provide for himself and even for those that, that were coming with him. Paul had been working, and that was next to, next to the work of the mission. I mean, he's been working in the tent makery of um, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. He had been working hard just to provide for himself. And not only that, he was even able to, to give away from that. As he says in the end, um, I've showed th this to you, that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Interesting, though, by the way, we don't find this in the Gospels anywhere. It's just here in the book of Acts. But this is what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Have you ever experienced that? When you um, not just gave something in the, in the collection in church, but you really made a sacrifice to help some, someone else, something that you really felt. It may have even hurt you. But have you ever felt that joy that you got afterwards, that you made a sacrifice out of love for Jesus? That he filled you with a kind of joy that cannot be bought with any money. Now that's, that's the intention of this saying. It's better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So the, the goal that Paul has is to, to finish the race. That's what we're reading in verse 24. And part of finishing this race, the race of the ministry of the serving, in the serving in the gospel, is to pass on the baton to others. And that's what we see in the second part of his uh, farewell speech, when he, um, he addresses the elders of Ephesus directly, and he, he inspires them to, to carry on the ministry of the gospel of, of Jesus, to follow in his footsteps which, which actually are Jesus' footsteps. It's not just the, the example that Paul set, it's the, the example that Jesus himself set, a ministry of serving. And you know what's interesting? That Paul stresses out that serving in this ministry, serving in the church of Jesus, is not, 
It's not for your own glory. It's for the glory of Jesus. Look at me with, with me at verse 28. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church belongs to Jesus because he paid the price for it with his own blood. He owns it, not we. Not those who lead the church. Not, no, 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 any pers no person can ever own the church of Jesus because he owns it. Unfortunately, when we look at history of church through the, the centuries, it seems like many people have forgotten about that and started dominating in the church. And I, I think it's a, it's a danger of, of all times, building our small little kingdoms in the kingdom of God. Oh, this is my church. This is my ministry. This is my pulpit. This is my... How did we ever come up with that? There's nothing that belongs to me in the church. It all belongs to Jesus. He is the one who paid the price of his blood for his church, as we read here. It's about him. And not only in church, even in, in your very personal lives, this is so tempting to think that this is my life. This is my house, my car, my career, my... Re just, just think of it very honestly. What do you have that you have not received? Everything you have is a gift. It's as plain as that. We only live by grace. So that's, that's what Paul is also um, telling us here. Live, live life as, as not possessing anything, actually. My life is worth nothing to me <laughs> simply because it belongs to Jesus. That's the thing. That's the secret. Now, when we look at this... Um, Legacy, this uh, farewell speech that Paul leaves behind her with these elders in, uh, in Ephesus. What, what, what do we learn from that 20 centuries later? Well, I think three things that speak to us. First of all, Paul leaves his legacy here to these people because he knows he will never, ever see those people again. So his last words, he wants them to last What would your legacy be? I mean, perhaps you think, oh, come on, I'm young. I'm not dying yet. I'm not leaving this world yet. Why, why should I think about my legacy? The, I, I once read a book of a person who, um, uh, who was very wise in, in leadership, and he said uh, there are seven characteristics of effective leadership, and one of them is begin with the end in mind. Okay? So... The chapter he writes about that he starts off with uh, a funeral. And unfortunately, it's his own funeral. But somehow he's present there himself and he hears the people say all kinds of things about the deceased. And he's like, just imagine you were present at your own funeral. What would you like the people to say about you? Well, if you think of that, then you can make decisions here, here and right now in order to reach that goal. Start off with the end in mind. What kind of legacy would you want to leave behind once your race is over? 
I mean, it's not, it's not just about the opinion that, that people might have about you. Oh, you were such a good person. Oh, she was so lovely and generous. Not about what people say. Think about what Jesus would say about your ministry. With your ministry, your life, I mean, in fact, the whole life of a Christian is ministry. There's no part of your life that is excluded from ministry. Would your ministry also be a ministry of serving, like we read here with Paul? Would you also say after him, my life is worth nothing to me because it belongs to Jesus? So that's, that's the first thing. What would your legacy be? Start with the end in mind. Secondly, this, this ministry that Paul had was a ministry of serving, servanthood like he had seen with the Lord Jesus himself. He knew that this church was not his own. The church belongs to Jesus. And I think this is something we need to remind ourselves of over and over again. I'm so thrilled that this international church started off here in Debrecen and it's been running for a while now. Let's keep this one up. This church does not belong to John, does not belong to, De to Gary, does not belong to Istvan, nor to any one of us. This church belongs to Jesus. The entire church worldwide belongs to him. And anything in church that is not about Jesus should not have a place in church. The church belongs to Jesus. How about your life? If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, the initiator of the church, would you also say that about your own life? Not only the church, but my life belongs to Jesus. And anything that's not about him, well, I wonder if it should have a place in my life then at all. Thirdly, when I, when I hear Paul speak in this farewell speech, giving his legacy, I see a passion that's driving him. A passionate, not a man that's, that's all worn out and sad because it seems like it's all over. No, there's a great passion in him because he knows that after he will be gone, God will move on by his only spirit. Live life passionately and abundantly as a gift that you have received. Live life as a gift that you have received and pass it on. Share it, just like Paul says. Jesus Christ taught us it's more blessed to give than to receive. The, the center of your life is not you. The center of your life is Jesus. And he blesses you with all that you need, even more than that, not just for you to enjoy it, but that you would pass it on, that you would bless others with what you have received. Now, live life in a way like that, passionately and abundantly from the abundance that God has given you. When it's, when it's about material things, when it's about spiritual things, when it's about making disciples, you don't make disciples for yourself, you make disciples for the one that you follow, Lord Jesus. Receive and pass on. 
passionately. Now, this was about finishing the race. Like I said, perhaps you don't feel like being close to the end of your life. Personally, I do feel that we are very close to the return of Jesus Christ in this world. I mean, we can only estimate how, how much time it will be, months, years, only the Father knows. But looking at this time that we're living in, I don't think we have that much time left. When he returns, how do you want to, to stand before him? What would you like him to say to you when you appear before him? When you just think of, of this world that we're living in, fancy church building, nice cars that we drive, houses that we live in, all of this will appear. Churches, houses, cars, titles, money, nothing of that will make it to heaven. So my advice to you and also to myself would be invest in the things that will last. Invest your time, invest your money, invest your energy, invest the best of what you have to give in this kingdom of God. It's, it's a great joy to become part of this kingdom of Jesus, knowing that you have everlasting life in him. Well, let me tell you this. It is an even greater joy when God wants to use you to make someone else enter into that kingdom of God. Invest in what is lasting. Keep the end in mind. Finish the race. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we, we thank you for the amazing ministry of the Apostle Paul through which you've been working with your Holy Spirit. We thank you that through that, the gospel also came to our continent, to, to Europe. And we thank you, Lord, that you have been working throughout the ages, taking care of your gospel, taking care of your kingdom. And Lord Jesus, we know we are close to the end. We know we hear your footsteps coming back to this world. Lord Jesus, we also want to, want to finish the race well, just like Paul did. We know we all stand in this ministry of serving and we look up at you, Lord Jesus. You are our master. You're the one who went before us. You showed us how to, how to serve, how to lay down our lives like you did. And Lord Jesus, we know we can find no greater joy than in doing that, surrendering totally to you. So that's what we're going to do here, Lord Jesus. We ask you to take the center in our lives, in this church, and if there would be anything that would stand in the way, that you would remove that, Lord, so we would only have you to hold on to. Everything else will disappear, only your kingdom will last. So, Lord Jesus, here we are. We want to live that kingdom to the full, passionately, abundantly with all that you have given us and we want to share from it and pass it on for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray, Lord Jesus, that at this moment you would fill us with the joy of your spirit, with the abundance that only you can give, with the peace that comes from no one else but you, Lord Jesus. You are our hope. You are our joy. 
everything that we hold on to, everything that's precious to us. We want to glorify your mighty name. Amen.